This is Exploring Boys Education, a podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition, and I'm Bruce Collins, your host. This episode is an Exploring Boys Schools feature. We speak with Greg Schneider, head of Belmont Hill School in the United States, about their journey of community and diversity. The conversation I have with Greg is a continuation of the conversation I had in the last episode with Jakes Fredericks, Laurie Hamilton Durbin, and Jack Pennell. The work that we are currently engaging in is messy, it is complex, it is frustrating. Um, but for me, the, the joy of the work is wrapped up in the statement that says, um, you can't criticize if you're not in the arena. So get into the arena. Every step matters, and the pace that's right for every school has to be determined by that school community's leaders. But uh, it takes courage. It's complex work, but it doesn't have to be done in isolation. The IVC is one of the few organizations I know that's global in nature, but we feel like a community of people within that globalism. And so I think that's a rare opportunity to... uh, produce amazing change in, in our given contexts and countries and nations. Uh, and I'm just beyond excited for the work we're about to do and to share with you the work that we are doing and to share with you um, actionable steps that we all should take together. If you haven't yet listened to episode eight, I highly recommend it. Before Greg and I speak, however, let's check in quickly with Amy Ahart for the IBSC Newsreel. Hello, listeners. It's such a pleasure to share with you some IBSC professional development opportunities that are coming up. First, two online classes start on April 12th. Mastery Practice of Teaching Boys is designed for experienced teachers who would like to continue their professional growth on the journey to becoming a master teacher in a boys' school. Responsible Sexual Citizenship in Today's World is one of our popular new classes and delves into the challenges boys face in becoming responsible sexual citizens. Based on the latest IBSC research report she led, Dr. Ada Sinecor provides guidance on essential elements of improving boys' understanding of responsible sexual citizenship. Sign up for either of these classes on the IBSC website. We'd love to have you participate. We also hope you'll recognize the faithful leadership and service of a colleague by nominating them for the 2021 IBSC Holly Jarvis Award. We'll present this distinguished award to an employee of an IBSC member school at the 2021 IBSC virtual conference in June. Submit your nomination by March 19th by visiting the IBSC website. Lastly, details of the 2021 IBSC virtual conference will be available soon. Watch your inbox and the IBSC website for more information. Thank you, Amy. There are so many good programs coming up, including two new ideas labs, which are focused on school librarians and boys and sports. These will also be announced soon, so keep your eyes on our website. Located in Belmont, Massachusetts in the United States, Belmont Hill School is an independent school for boys in grades 7 to 12. Their commitment to diversity is empowered by the synergy of their community. The collective identities and perspectives of their students, faculty and staff create a unifying force that celebrates, educates and enriches each member of the Belmont Hill family. 
It's a privilege today to be able to share their journey on this Exploring Boys Schools feature. It's wonderful to be talking to Greg Schneider on this episode. Thank you for joining us. Just before we kick into the real meat of today's conversation, I'd like to just um, do some introductions. And because you're the head of a boys' school, a question I always love asking by way of introduction is what is it about educating boys that really excites and motivates you? Thanks, Bruce. And thanks for inviting me to be on this and for all the great work you're doing on behalf of IBSC. I, I think my story is a little unique in that I had the pleasure of being the head of a co-ed school for 11 years before coming to Belmont Hill. And um, the power of the single sex experience has really been striking, you know, for me. And certainly to have a school whose mission is focused on character. Um, I think some of the things I see uh, are the vulnerability and the risk taking that I see from the boys. I teach ethics um, to our ninth graders and um, they're willing to take some intellectual risks that feel different than other environments I've been in. And um this whole notion of courageous conversations, I think, really pervades everything we're doing. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is just this is a chance for us to impact the world through our graduates. And um, when we look at the challenges around us, um, we need uh, great men to help solve the world's problems. You know, right at the moment, Belmont Hill has um, two pretty amazing stories in Washington. One is is General Mark Milley, who's the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, and then more recently, uh, Rachel Levine, who was appointed the Assistant Health Secretary, um, the first transgender appointee confirmed by the Senate. So um, we need that to continue and to keep sending leaders out there who can make a difference. Already you've alluded to this, that Belmont Hill seems to be a special place. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what makes Belmont Hill such a great school. Yeah, I think I'd start by saying um, if people are not aware, you know, we're a grade seven through 12 school in suburban Boston with a small five day boarding program uh, coming up on our hundredth birthday. And um, to some degree, our story is uniquely American, but I just want to acknowledge in this conversation around diversity how much I think we have to share and learn through the international conversation and mm -hmm. why I think, you know, IBSC is so important. Um, our mission is all about developing young men of character. I think this mission drives the work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I'll talk about more. Um, there's also kind of a calling card culture here of working together. And that phrase um, has driven a lot of the conversation at our school as well. Uh, I do think Belmont Hill has a remarkable sense of kind of school spirit and pride um, compared to other places I've been. And that's been wonderful. But I also think um, I've tried to make sure that we balance that with an appropriate sense of humility, because as much as we are making progress, we certainly still have a long way to go and have to be a school that is just continually committed to improving um, and becoming an even better version of itself over time. Greg, as I've shared with you before, in our Exploring Boys Schools feature, we like to highlight the work that boys schools are doing around the world with the aim that others who are in boys schools, um, boys schools themselves, educators, administrators in those schools, can learn from one another. And in today's conversation with you, our focus is going to be on your school's community and diversity journey 
And and I want to kick off with this question because having spent some time looking at Belmont Hill's diversity timeline, the action plan that's outlined on your website, and I want to acknowledge we're probably not going to be able to cover everything in this one conversation because there's so much, but I'm blown away by the intentional and practical way Belmont Hill has approached this shift. And maybe it would really be a good place to start this conversation by by looking at and and talking through how this journey started for Belmont Hill. Sure. Um, it is a involved, complicated, and ongoing journey, for sure. I think I would start by saying it certainly has not started with me. You know, for decades, um, under the leadership of Rick Melvoin and others, Belmont Hill has been doing intentional work in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So, I feel very fortunate when I got here three years ago, I was building upon a strong foundation with structures like a a multicultural alumni partnership that have been a huge part of the culture here for many years. Um, One really interesting thing that happened in the spring of 2018, just before my arrival, is that we had a number of boys who, through a senior advanced research um, class, began looking at a bell that was kind of an iconic symbol on our campus right next to the head of school's house. And um, they actually traced its roots back to Cuba um, and certainly connections to plantations that had slave labor um, on them. And um, it was kind of presented to me in that first summer as this interesting discovery that was unresolved and that we needed to think about how to acknowledge and embrace that history um, over time. You know, my, and I'll come back to that a little bit later, but my search process included a strategic vision that highlighted work and diversity as a key priority for the school moving forward. Uh, In my second year after coming to Belmont Hill, we engaged in the AIM process, the Assessment of Inclusivity and Multiculturalism, which is an audit audit, uh, product sort of presented by the National Association of Independent Schools in the United States. Uh, And we were very much on track working towards a diversity action plan anyway. And so there had been a lot of conversations with our board about how we wanted to move forward. Uh, Certainly, you know, the killing of George Floyd and other national events um, accelerated and catalyzed just an entirely different level of urgency. Um, The student and alumni energy was palpable. Um, We received petitions. Uh, A number of schools, including us, had Instagram sites. Um, We had listening sessions with our young alums. And then quickly, our board did coalesce around the idea of removing this bell um, from campus uh, because it was really hindering our ability to deliver our mission fully to all the boys on campus. And we've launched um, a history task force that's working to find a home for the bell locally where our kids will still engage with it as part of our curriculum, um, but that um, we'll be working with it in a a different way. Um, Since that time, we've seen things like a new diversity initiative fund from our board, um, a speaker series. Um, We just had Ibram Kendi here last week um, virtually on campus, curricular audits, professional development, Um, And I know we'll speak about our action plan a little bit later, so I won't try to cover all of it here, but we felt like we needed to move from words to actions um, fairly quickly. Um, And the other thing for us is that in 2023, we have our centennial. And so I think all of this work is going to inform that amazing celebration of our school. And we're committed to sort of looking back 
um, in a deeper way so that we can envision a future, you know, for Belmont Hill that's even brighter um, as we look off into the distance. It's great to hear about that journey, uh, Greg. You know, as I looked on your websites, I was fascinated by your diversity action plan, and I noticed three distinct areas of focus. And the first of those that stuck out for me is strategy. And it seems foundational to me that this work starts by being an integral part of your strategy as a school. Yeah, I think it does need to be a strategic priority. I think ultimately, if work in diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a priority of the head, and the board, um, it's very difficult to make progress in an authentic way in your community. You know, I personally believe there is a skill-based argument for this work that is driven right by our mission. You know, this idea of developing young men of character, you know, in the 21st century um, is primary to Belmont Hill and primary to my leadership. So things like cultural competency, cultural versatility, um, empathy, they're really needed for every Belmont Hill graduate to succeed in higher education and ultimately in a global economy, you know, as well. And um, there's obviously a moral argument as well around character um, and sort of doing the right thing for equity. Um, I would tell you strategically, I believe that there's also a long-term financial sustainability issue for Belmont Hill and for most schools about being relevant and being excellent, um, you know, 50 or 100 years from now. So um, as much as this is a school that's had an unbelievable tradition of excellence, um, I think it's critical that we also um, evolve and grow just as the demographics are evolving and growing around us. Um, and um, we're re we remain committed uh, to excellence uh, moving forward. And this has to be part of that conversation around excellence. I like how you talk about the evolution of every school and how, you know, these these conversations are, it's right to have these conversations and to take action and to change things, but it's also about sustainability. When when I look at your action plan, Greg, Belmont Hill seems to have been very granular in defining how every every area of school life will be impacted by this action plan. And you, you alluded to it earlier, you said you wanted to move from speaking to taking action really quickly. And I'd love to talk through how action is being taken in various areas of school life, because I think the practical implications of this work will be um, really useful for listeners as they, as, they, as they hear what you're actually doing on the ground. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask you about the importance of leadership and, and what role leadership plays in turning this strategy into action. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that I've had my own personal journey on acknowledging my own privilege, my own experiences, and doing um, a lot of professional development in this area. And while I think I'm still limited and have my own biases, that work in terms of reading, professional development, um, working with other heads has been critical. And the leadership isn't just me, you know, it's the team and, uh, and it's the entire faculty. Uh, and this year we're in a position where we have DEI time now in our weekly schedule. And so every faculty member is being asked to lead these conversations with our boys in an entirely different way. The other part about leadership is the board. And we have a phenomenal board here who understands that resources are also needed to make these things possible. And there will always be a kind of legitimate 
opportunity cost conversation about devoting resources, you know, to these efforts as opposed to other important and meaningful causes. And um, that partnership with the board, I think, has been uh, critical to, to our ability to moving forward. And then the, the last key piece for me about the leadership is also accountability and, and making sure you're able to sort of measure progress um, and make sure that the, the efforts are authentic um, as, as we move forward. I'd love you to share a little bit about how these how these things are impacting things. For example, like pedagogy and programming, student experience, hiring of staff, those kinds of things. I think what I'll start by saying, I'll, I'll highlight very quickly. Our diversity action plan touches on eleven areas, uh, and I think that in and of itself is a statement of the breadth of which in which we're sort of viewing diversity work in our organization and uh, the plan that we approved in November is the first real formalized diversity action plan for Belmont Hill. Um, so I'll, I'll run over these quickly and certainly, you know, happy to talk more about any of them. Um, at the top of the list is pedagogy and program. And I just want to say that that includes inclusive teaching practices um, and what that looks like in our classrooms, in addition to the critical conversation around uh, multiculturalism in the program, different narratives. Um, and I will tell you, this is one of the more challenging ones uh, that we're uh, spending a lot of time on. And we and we could talk about why. Um, student experience, you know, making sure our boys are supported from all different backgrounds, whether those are residential students or day students from different communities. Hiring is an area where we've had great success in the last couple of years, but I'm more convinced than ever that having a diverse faculty that reflects the diversity of your student body is essential um, to having um, healthy school culture. Um, admissions, you know, we've invested a lot in new outreach efforts. I think that we have historically relied on certain programs that have provided kids with from diverse backgrounds, and we're really trying to have a more robust outreach effort, you know, from our own admissions office that's more comprehensive. Uh, faculty and staff development is the next one. You know, we now um, are having required professional development each and every year at Belmont Hill. Um, they're not things that people can opt out of. Um, we're certainly making it a priority. Um, the next one, which is kind of near and dear to my heart, is this notion of language use on our campus, you know, and I think that some of our audit work really unfolded that um, I think our boys still don't fully understand the difference of intent and impact with their language use. And so we're really thinking about um, how we can convey to them in new ways the power of their words. And a lot of that will involve older students, mentoring younger students, you know, using different outside resources, et cetera. The next area is governance and thinking about the board um, who's committed to making sure it reflects the diversity of our school as well. Um, the next one after that is alumni. You know, we're blessed with a remarkable multicultural alumni partnership who just this year started a new program where all of our form five and six grades, 11 and 12 boys of color have now been formally partnered with an alumni of color um, who will partner with them, not just while they're at Belmont Hill, but beyond, you know, and making that transition into, into college and, and the world. Marketing and outreach. I think this journey, uh, this experience of listening to our alums, to our kids, to our parents, also has revealed that we're not telling our story as effectively on the things that we are doing. And so that's critical. 
um, the parent experience. You know, we've had a certain amount of parent programming here, but I think schools all struggle with um, often talking to the same groups of parents and thinking about how do we make sure we capture, you know, a broader swath of our parent community. And then last but not least is this idea of bringing it all together in our centennial. And so we do have this trustee-led history task force, which is um, looking at not just the bell, but the founding of our school, understanding the names across our campus, and um, also wanting to discover the great stories that are in our history as well. You know, it's not all about um, the problematic pieces. Um, I think it's really about understanding that history fully so that we can celebrate it um, and really be talking about what character and working together mean in today's context, because that thread has always been there, um, but the conversation is different and, um, and there's a new level of urgency around these issues, I think, at our school and, and probably certainly most across the United States and, and elsewhere. I'm interested to pick up on what you said when you spoke about pedagogy and program. Um, you said the, in particular under that um, part of, of the action plan, there had been some challenges. What, what might some of those be? I think time is is a massive challenge and also the notion that um, the program that's been formed here over 100 years is a great program in many ways with great people who've made a career around teaching certain aspects of it. And um, I think I certainly am a huge believer that, you know, multiculturalism in the program does not pull away from any of that. In fact, it makes it stronger and it makes it more, you know, excellent. Um, and yet when we audited our program, I think it was pretty clear that a lot of the opportunities for boys to do multicultural learning were elective in nature as opposed to required. And so this really forces us to look more deeply at what's required to graduate, you know, at Belmont Hill um, and to think about how, for example, with faculty evaluation, work in diversity, equity, inclusion, multiculturalism has to be a metric for feedback for everyone at our school and professional development for everyone at our school. Because, you know, the reality is people are at different points in this journey. And I'm a huge believer that um, that's okay. We need all of those voices, you know, to be a part of this conversation, you know, wherever they are. Um, but to sort of actually mobilize an entire faculty about what all those changes should be and how fast, uh, I'm sure most other um, school people out there would would probably appreciate. It's it's a it's a complex effort. It takes more than a year, and we're in an environment where people want to see change right now. Um, and so getting that balance right has been tricky. I'd like to focus on a bit of the, the positive here. I mean, already you've shared some wonderful things, but what are some of the initiatives at Belmont Hill that you sense as the head of school are having the greatest impact um, on people's experience of the school? For a long time, Belmont Hill had a history of a wonderful diversity day um, sometime in February. And I think one of the complaints we heard quickly was that that structure made it feel like we only celebrated diversity one day of the year. And one of the blessings of the pandemic is that we've actually had more time. And so now we have advisories meeting for, I want to say, 45, 50 minutes every day. And one of those times um, each week is now exclusively devoted to diversity, equity, inclusion. And so there's programming provided for all of our teachers, which makes the conversations far more sustained. 
uh, far more far reaching and also within a context of small groups of kids where the relationships are deep. And so it's been interesting how the pandemics allowed us to have deeper relationships with the boys, even though some of the breath and some of the mixing and some of the social experience has felt isolating at times. So it's been an interesting dynamic there. Um, this speaker series, you know, I just referenced that uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi was just here. Um, we had Caroline Randall Williams, who was amazing here in the fall, Branford Marsalis coming to our school in the spring. Um, to see that intentional infusion of speakers that are focused on these topics um, is really um, important and I think a tradition that will continue. Um, I mentioned before the hiring piece. I think um, once one becomes really intentional about trying to find those candidates, um, you know, it makes a big difference in the, in the conversations we have as a faculty. Um, also, you know, with the boys, and it's not as if Belmont Hill hadn't been focused there. Um, but we've just been fortunate to have some success with that hiring in the last couple of years. And then this this mentorship program, you know, that I mentioned, I think one of the great things about Belmont Hill has been, even though some of these conversations were really hard with our young alums last summer about the experiences they had here and um, some of the parts of that that were challenging, people were willing to talk and they came to the conversation fundamentally because they wanted to make Belmont Hill a better place. And they wanted to make sure the next generation of students um, had a different experience in some ways. Um, and they've really kind of uh, dug in with this mentorship program to put the time in to make sure that we're supporting the boys, not just internally, kind of from with, within the faculty of the school, but through others who have been through the school and had similar experiences. So. I'd say all of those, there are others, but all of those are having deep impact um, right out of the gates. Greg, as, as I've listened to you, it, it strikes me that for this work to be successful in a school like yours and in other schools around the world, there has to be a full embracing by all members of the community and of all divisions in a community to, to really commit to this work. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it has to be a shared understanding. And, and I think to some degree, that's the role of the head in this is to connect those dots for people and to understand not just how, I mean, diversity work also connects to conversations around innovation, you know, that we're having. It connects to um, other areas of school life. And I think sometimes faculty members feel like, um, you know, there's 10 or 12 lanes moving of school change or school reform at the same time. And I think for it to work, the leader has to show how these things are kind of interrelated and frankly, how they all go back to the mission, you know, of the school that um, this is not fundamentally new, you know, in certain ways, but people are in different places. And I think a part of the focus of our work, whether we've been talking about students or faculty or parents has been all voices are matter, you know, matter at our school. And the conversation is richer and better when we're willing to have our opinions shifted, you know, over time. I think a big point of emphasis for me, both with the adults and the boys, is the difference between dialogue and debate. You know, that I think schools are historically quite strong as we have been on creating debaters, you know, who can argue an opinion or write a paper and give evidence and um, do their best to persuade, you know, dialogue 
to me is much more about having a fundamental openness that allows one to be shifted through conversation, you know, and that flexibility as opposed to just being, you know, competitive, um, I think is really, really important. And there's a role for both clearly with our boys, but that's, that's kind of another mantra that I've been holding out there as, um, this notion that we need to be able to have kids who can engage in dialogue, not just debate. And I think it's critical for them because they're going to go to these college campuses that are so much more diverse even than ours, you know, and they're, and they're going to be, uh, never mind that they will be in co-ed environments, you know, for the most part, but they literally will be working with students from all over the world in a different way, you know, that they do at Belmont Hill. And so if we're not preparing them for that, then I, I feel strongly that we're doing them a disservice. I love that distinction you make between dialogue and debate. And I think that's a very important part of this process. I want to talk as we as we close off soon about accountability, because I'm sure that in this work it's it's obviously important. And I, I noticed even part of your your plan focuses on accountability. And maybe we could speak a little bit about how Belmont Hill has made sure that school leadership remains committed to the strategic vision that they've that they've yeah. laid out. So number one, there is a version of our diversity action plan, as you know, on our website and anyone's welcome to to have a look. But I would say that that's more um, kind of at the high level strategic part. Um, Underneath that internally, we have a dashboard with measurable goals under each of those 11 areas and they're assigned to people. And I think like many heads of school, we have a sort of, you know, red, yellow, green framework um, and we intend Um, as an administrative team to revisit that every year at the summer retreat. Um, We have a diversity committee of our board who's overseeing this kind of accountability and will report to our board annually. Um, And there's some areas where we're having great success and other areas where we're having to adjust, you know, because um, parts of it are challenging. Um, I mentioned about evaluations. You know, we, we were in the middle of a kind of faculty evaluation refresh anyway, and the pandemic has sort of put a pause on that. But as we emerge, making sure that this is part of that process moving forward in a very intentional way, um, I think creates new accountability. You know, our hiring process now includes every candidate meeting with our director of community and diversity. And whether or not we're talking to a student, a person of color, we're, we're having very intentional conversations about this work and people's commitment to it. Um, because it it ultimately will be an important part of working, you know, at Belmont Hill over time. Professional development, which I mentioned, you know, we had our administrative team go through anti-bias training for hiring, you know, this year. But I think a lot of it is fundamentally coming to terms with it's a privilege to opt out of these conversations, right? Whether you're an adult or a student, um, for people of color in our community, they don't get to opt out, you know, of thinking about these issues. And so whether it's the curriculum or the professional development, um, I think that's where our energy is, is that this is this is no longer a conversation that one can opt out of um, at our school. And I think if we, we feel if we can keep that intentionality over a period of time, we're going to wake up five years from now, 10 years from now, and feel like we've made some meaningful progress. Greg, we're so grateful for you sharing today. There's there's so much that you've shared, and I want to encourage people to check out your diversity and community page on your website because there's there's so much there too. But 
before we close, I'd really like to reach out to you for one more piece, and that's some advice and suggestions for other schools around the world who are doing this work, maybe starting out in this work, maybe um, have already started. What what would your word of advice be for them? Yeah, I think it is um, it's challenging, and so and it can be lonely too. But first and foremost, I would say start from a place of humility you know, that fundamentally this last year has been a lot of listening, understanding, appreciating, trying to empathize. Uh, and if you if you start from a place of feeling like you've got this mostly figured out, um, I think it's hard to move forward. You know, my mentors in this work remind me that it actually gets harder the further you go and it gets more uncomfortable the further you go. Uh, and that can be frustrating because most things in leadership seemingly get better, you know, the more time you you spend it. It's not that you're not getting better. It's just that things get more complex. Um, so having that humility, I think, is critical. I think you need to know why you're doing it, why you're doing the work. The boys want to know why. The community wants to know why. And we have tried really hard to frame that in our mission um, as well as this motto of working together at Belmont Hill. And, and while these are different conversations, they're not fundamentally new to our sense of purpose. Um, and I think that's been important. The third, I would say, is this, this idea of courageous conversations, you know, and growth and having all voices at the table and, and meeting people where they are. And you have to be able to create an environment where it's okay for people to make mistakes, for the boys to make mistakes, for the adults to make mistakes, and, and that we get to a place of acknowledging that we're all on a journey and we're all growing at slightly different rates, but we're a better school for the fact that not everyone thinks it should all happen the same way and um, that it's complex, but but it's critical. Um, and then the last I would say is find Find colleagues, find mentors. I do think there are times as a head of school um, where this can be incredibly lonely and challenging and you ask yourself hard questions. And um, I guess I'll just put it out there. When you find yourself in those moments, give me a call and we'll go have a drink and have a conversation. Because um, if you don't have those people in your life that can help kind of keep you going, um, it's really hard. And frankly, for me, IBSC has always been one of those places, and and I hope for people listening, it will be that kind of place as well. Well, you talk about IBSC, and I'm sure all the schools who will listen to this will benefit. Um, and that's, for me, the joy of the network we have is is all about sharing, sharing experience, sharing the good work that people are doing around the world. And Greg, we're grateful for you. Um, and for the sharing that you've done uh, today about the good work um, that you and your leadership team and your teachers and boys are doing at Belmont Hill School. So we wish you all the best for the continuation of this journey, and especially at the moment as, as COVID is making it challenging for many of our schools to be completely and utterly embedded in all that a school is. Um, we thank you for, for sharing and for your time. It's my pleasure, Bruce. And again, thank you for all that you're doing um, to connect us. And thank you for all the great work at IBSC. Again, thank you for listening to this conversation. If you love this episode and haven't yet listened to any of our other offerings, head to our past episodes page on www.theibsc.org. 
I look really forward to connecting with you again in our next episode, in which I speak to author Peggy Orenstein about boys and sex. Until then, keep safe and keep well.